Well, good morning again, Grace people. And good morning to those of you who are watching in the Fellowship Hall and those watching at home this morning. May God's grace and peace certainly be with you all. Well, my dear friends in Christ, it's about time. It's about time. For almost three and a half years, I have been your senior pastor and continue to be and enjoy every moment of it. We have endured and persevered through a lot of disruptions, distractions, trauma, and heartache in just those short three and a half years, yes? But also along the way, we've had some profound moments of joy, and celebration, laughter, and consolation. But now, it's about time. It's about time. Now, when I'm talking about time, you need to realize that in the Bible, there are two distinct words that are used for time. Greek words. The Greek words are chronos and kairos. Now, the word chronos, as you hear it, you may hear a, a lingering of another term that we use very commonly, chronos and chronology or chronological. That's where we get the term for our keeping of time. That's the kind of time that we keep, the kind of time that we keep on our watches, right? Counting the minutes and the seconds and even the days and the years. That's the kind of chronological time. And, and in the time of the Greeks, and really it kind of carries over into our time, this is the kind of time that is seen as that cruel master. This is the kind of time that in, in the Greek pantheon of lowercase gods would show up as father time. The one who would grind away at us over time, eventually stealing and taking from us even. A harsh taskmaster. That version of time, the kind of time that we count day upon day, moment upon moment, minute by minute on our watches. That's chronos time. But there's another kind of time, and that's kairos time. And kairos time, well, that's the moments. Kairos time represents God's time. Kairos time is the kind of time where the moments or the opportunities break into our reality. They come into those chronological moments that tick by, and they speak of God's time, the right time, the opportunity that is there presented to us. Sometimes it's seen in Scripture as things like the day of the Lord, or the season of harvest. These are the kind of times where God is up to something. Kronos and Kairos. It's about time. And today it's about time we get on to chapter 11 of Hebrews. <laughs> We've arrived there, friends. Chapter 11. We have been waiting patiently over the course of this summer. 13 chapters within the book of Hebrews, and we've entitled this sermon series, Connecting the Dots of Faith. And while faith has certainly shown up multiple times throughout these 10 previous chapters, here we come to the moment in chapter 11 where the author, the preacher of Hebrews is ready to make a key point, is ready to step in to this discussion of faith. And while faith is certainly the key topic here, you'll discover there's also an underlying topic of time. Faith and time and the way that they go 
together. As we've been working our way through this sermon series, I've asked you to hold on to two important questions in your mind. See if you remember them. The first question is, how do you see God? Very good. A little prompting there. That's all right. And then the second question that follows out of that, of course, is how do you think God sees you? Two important questions. Faith-defining questions. Really, truly questions of faith. And you'll discover more and more why these questions are definitely questions of faith as we explore chapter 11. So let's dive in, okay? Listen and follow along as I begin reading in Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. If you brought your own Bible with you, wonderful. I always encourage people to bring a Bible with you so that you can open up God's Word and be reading along. If you got it on your phone or in another format, that's wonderful. But follow along now as I begin reading from Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people 
were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. Such powerful words. Faith repeated over and over and over again. Faith, my friends, has a context. And faith has a history. That is what we see when we read this amazing passage of Scripture. It begins with a description of faith that speaks of confidence, assurance, and hope for the future, even though the future is invisible just as God himself is invisible. This beginning of chapter 11 offers us what some call a definition of faith. I think it's more of a description of faith. Because a definition of faith, by definition, should make it a little easier to understand. <laughs> but in this case, it's a, it's a description of faith. The way that faith works itself out or works itself in, depending on how you see it. The way faith plays out in our lives. Confidence, assurance, but only of things hoped for and things that are not seen. Jesus described faith this way in speaking with his disciples after he had risen from the dead and was in their presence it was reasonable, Thomas. <laughs> I like that turn of phrase that Dan gave us a couple of weeks ago. Not doubting Thomas, but reasonable Thomas, who looked around and went, I don't see this Jesus. How could this possibly be true? And then Jesus appears before him, and he's still not fully convinced until he puts his hands into the wounds and then declares, my Lord and my God. And Jesus' reply is so important because it applies to us. Blessed are you, for you have seen. But now, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. That applies to every one of us. None of us have seen Jesus in the flesh. None of us have gazed face to face upon God himself. We don't see things that way. And in our rational, normal, materialistic world... The old saying goes that seeing is believing, right? Show me the evidence. Let me see it first. Then I will believe. But the thing about faith is that it is supernatural. And in the supernatural realm of faith, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. When we believe what it is that Jesus has done for us, when we place our trust in him, then we see then we begin to see what God has for us. Then we begin to see what it means to trust, what it means to follow, what it means to listen and hear the voice 
of God. All of those things come to our lives by faith, and they come by believing first. Now this letter, remember, these words were written to first century Christians. Right there, within a short period of time from the death and resurrection of Jesus, these first century Christians were already beginning to struggle with their faith. This kingdom that had been promised to them, they weren't seeing it yet. Instead, they had endured persecution and were preparing for even further persecution down the road. They hadn't seen it. And so they were starting to lose their trust and their faith. And so they began to say, you know what, let's go back. Let's just go back to the way things used to be. It's amazing, isn't it? Because it sounds so similar to those stories of the Old Testament. It sounds so similar to those early followers in the Exodus, those people of God brought out of their bondage to slavery, brought out into the wilderness, and shortly thereafter going, ah, this isn't looking so good. Why don't we just go back? I mean, it was slavery after all, but at least we understood what was happening. At least we knew the rules. So many parallels, so much similarity, because these cycles repeat again and again and again in the lives of people. Because they were too short-sighted. They were short-sighted in their faith. They had a faith that expected that if I believe now, something immediate is going to happen all around me. Everything is going to change instantly and permanently. Oh, wow, things haven't changed much, have they? course not the author says no don't go back instead look back and see the long game of faith we can either be short-sighted in our faith or we can trust in the long game of faith and immediately the preacher and author of Hebrews begins to share the stories, yes? The stories of the ancients. The stories of creation. And of Cain and Abel, Enoch, and of Noah, and of Abraham, and of Sarah. You see, this faith we're talking about, this is about time. It's about time. And it's funny how we often can compress time, and when we compress time, we tend to lose perspective on things. Sometimes things that are long ago seem to all be connected closely to each other, even though the times may not quite line up that way. Let me give you an example. 45 years ago, in 1977, it was the last time that the Minnesota Vikings went to a Super Bowl. 45 years ago. I was seven years old. I remember it because I was playing with my Legos on a table as the game was playing. 45 years ago. Now we still talk about the Vikings as if they're team that has been to the Super Bowl, and yes, they have, but that was 45 years ago. Now put this in perspective. 
45 years before that was 1942, the beginning of World War II, or American involvement in World War II. So think about it. The end of World War II is closer in time to when the Vikings went to their last Super Bowl than the time from the Super Bowl to now. See, we sometimes compress time. We think about it. It's like, oh, yeah, the Vikings, well, they were there in the Super Bowl a few years back. No, closer to World War II than to now. It's easy for us to do that. And there's a comparison that is right in this passage that we sometimes overlook. You see, this passage was written in the first century to those first century Christians who had shortly before been in the presence of Jesus. But the time between then and the time of Abraham was 2,000 years. Think about that for a moment. 2,000 years before Jesus is the time of Abraham. That's the time frame that the author is referring to. The same amount of time, perhaps even more, passed between the life of Abraham and the time of these first listeners hearing these stories as has passed from the time of Jesus to today. That's quite a comparison, isn't it? So those first century Christians who were struggling to understand what is God up to right now, we trusted, we believed, but we're not seeing the kingdom yet. We're not seeing the outcome yet. This author goes, look back 2,000 years to Abraham, the father of faith. And recognize the long game of faith. When we look back to the faith stories of the past, we need to understand that the outcomes of those faith-filled people didn't happen overnight. In many cases, it took centuries for their faithfulness to bear fruit. That is the long game of faith. And as it says in verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. How are we living out the long game of faith? In this fast food microwave world, how are we living out the long game of faith? Well, let me bring it home to us here today. And let me give you some examples. Because it's about time. In 1888, a group of faithful followers of Jesus gathered together to form a church that would soon become First Lutheran Church. Not too terribly long after that, <laughs> they built a building on Stewart Avenue. And that building is still there to this day. 
But the congregation didn't stay there. They trusted God's promises and followed Jesus' guidance by the Holy Spirit. That is why we are here on Linden Street today. I just covered 134 years of history in about a minute and a half. And for some in this room, the time between Stewart Avenue and Linden Street doesn't seem that long ago because there are still a few among us who remember. But not many. There are far more who were there then who are not here today. But who made an investment of faith in prayer and in finances and in time and in vision and in evangelism and in commitment. They made those commitments even though many of them would not live to see the fulfillment of what it is that God was doing. But some of those folks along the line made investments. And about 20 years ago, give or take, some folks got together and said, you know what, we want to see investments that outlive us. And they formed an endowment fund. And that endowment fund has grown over the years, but it hasn't just grown and grown for growth's sake. It has grown, and then from the proceeds of that endowment fund, things have come back to this church. Things that have helped us with renovations. Things that have helped us with fixing and replacing windows. Things that have helped us along the line. A total of almost a half a million dollars over time that's been given to help provide for the physical spaces that we enjoy and that we worship in and that we use to serve our community all around us. Because of that, there has been resource that's been available for ministry, for people, for outreach, for all sorts of things. What an incredible gift. Let me tell you about another gift. The same endowment fund and the leaders on that team agreed this past month to gift $200,000 to Community of Grace to help us with our roof project. That's a statement of faith. That's seeing the value in what we are doing in this physical space so that more ministry can happen long into the future. What a great vision that is of people from the past looking out and seeing the long game of faith. Now let me tell you about some other ways. Ways in which we are going to live into faith into the future. Things that we are doing right now to prepare us for where Jesus will lead us. Three and a half years ago, <laughs> when I came on board, there was a large staff turnover. Some people look at that and go, hmm, strange coincidence there, Pastor. Shifts happen. People make adjustments. They shift from one place to another. It's all part of God's timing and the way that God works. Then shortly after that came a pandemic. That kind of held some stuff up. Kind of made us do our best to try and just kind of patch some things together as we moved forward. But now... 
the Holy Spirit has provided us with some exciting new staff additions and redeployments among our staff to prepare us for the future. Some of them you're aware of, some of them I'm happy to announce to you today. So first of all, many of you have already met Mark Hansen, our Executive Administrative Assistant. He came on board this summer early on, but as he comes to us in the fall, he will also be our organist and choir director. Yeah, that's exciting. It's exciting. And don't think that I forget when we gather together for our annual meeting, standing in front of you and going, I don't know what's going to happen with the choir. But God provides, doesn't he? God knows what he's up to. And we just have to set ourselves in the right posture to be ready for what God wants to do. So there will be an organ and there will be a choir. And then, by the way, as gifts start to emerge and people start to let you know more and more about themselves, I have a wife named Angela. And Angela is a bell ringer. She's done it since she was a little girl. She's been a part of bell choirs. Her mother is the director of a bell choir at a congregation in the Twin Cities. And my wife felt compelled and moved by the Lord to say that she wants to help lead up the bell choir here at Community of Grace. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the little things that God is doing, that he's showing and revealing to prepare us to go into the future. Let me share with you some more. Mike Matheson, who's faithfully served as a, as a church council member and as a faithful member of this congregation. He's been congregational president in the past. Serving with us, Mike is preparing next spring to make another transition, and that is to come on board our staff as our next executive administrator. Yeah. It's cool stuff, folks, isn't it? The way that God provides, the way that God reveals things and uses the gifts around us and among us. Let me tell you some more. Hannah Collins, who has been serving faithfully with us as our connections and groups coordinator, making a little shift in her job title and responsibilities from connections and groups to connections and service. Anybody who knows Hannah knows what a deep heart she has for serving those who are the greatest need in our community. It seemed like just a natural fit. It just took time supernaturally for us to realize it, for us to see what God is up to. So this fall, Hannah's going to be shifting, and we're going to see new life and vitality in our service and missions as a congregation. So exciting. So good. Now, what does that mean about groups? Well, what it means about groups is that the responsibility for groups in a discipleship umbrella is going to be shifted over to Dan Lugo. Now, Dan Lugo, who you may know, of course, is our contemporary worship director and will continue to, to serve in that role, but he's got extra capacity. He's got more that God wants to do through him for us as a community, as a congregation. If you don't know this, he also has a Master of Divinity degree. And he is looking forward to engaging more in groups and seeing how that looks in discipleship in our midst. Praise God that God reveals these things among us and shows us these things. It's exciting. 
And then just one more thing. In just a few weeks, a young man by the name of Andrew Kelly and his new wife, Madeline, and by new wife, I mean they got married three weeks ago, <laughs> will be packing up their stuff, loading it up into the trailer, traveling from San Diego, California, up here to White Bear Lake, Minnesota, to join us as our new student ministries and worship associates, occupying that senior high position that Melinda has been longing for to come alongside her and to serve in that capacity to help us move forward with our senior high ministry here at Community of Grace. Partnering together with Melinda and with Dan Lugo because he also brings worship skills. None of this happened by advertising something in a newspaper, by posting some things on websites somewhere, they all happened by supernatural encounters, friendships, relationships, connections where all of a sudden a person emerged or an opportunity showed up or a conversation took place. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, doing the unseen things, the things that don't appear to make sense at the surface level at the time that we never could have seen. I certainly couldn't have seen it myself. But God has been at work showing and revealing these things. These are strategic additions and realignments of our staff to prepare us for what is coming next. So what is coming next? Well, friends, we're going to learn together. In the mail, in just a couple of weeks, you're going to receive an outline of some strategic priorities that were revealed to us as leadership and staff over this past year. And we're going to invite you, through this mailing, to, to look at these strategic priorities, to pray about them, to think about them, to jot down some questions or thoughts that are on your mind. And then we're going to get together and we're going to have a, a family meeting and meal. In early October, October 9th, as a matter of fact, mark your calendars today for October 9th because we're going to gather together. And we're just going to have some meal together and share some fellowship together, pray and converse so that we can hear together what it is that the Lord is up to. And we can ask questions. And it won't be a night for, for your senior pastor to sit there and say, well, let me give you all the answers. No, I'll be there to listen, to listen with you as we listen to the Lord and as we listen to each other so that we can hear together what it is that God is revealing and unveiling. But here's the thing. Whatever it is that he does, this is going to be about the long game of faith. The things we're doing right now aren't meant to create some instant cookie-cutter microwave thing that all of a sudden next year everything's just going to look dandy and finished and perfect and, and there'll be 10,000 people attending our church. Look, let's get over that, okay? That's short-sighted thinking. We want to live into the long game of faith. We want to live into that place. I was reminded yesterday of a quote from an author and Christian thinker by the name of Leonard Sweet. Showed up on my timeline because it's something that I posted about seven years ago, as a matter of fact. 
It just so happened to show up on my Facebook timeline, and it couldn't have come at a better time, because this is what Leonard Sweet had to say. He said, the clearer the sense of vision a person slash community has for the future, the less likely that vision is from God. That is not the way God generally appears. God leads us to the place where we don't know and can't see. It is not God's way to give us specs or blueprints. God takes us to places where trust grows or is more likely to grow. And often, where we don't want to go. God leads us to faith, not certainty. That's why we're going to gather together. And it's about time. It's about time that we step forward into the future that God has for us. And by God's grace, someday someone will look back on us and say, thank you, Jesus, for that group faithful followers who saw the long game of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the author and perfecter of our faith through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we trust today that the pages that you are writing and the things that you are doing are all good and are meant for our good and for the good of future generations who will come to know you through the things that we are doing today. And Father, we trust, Lord, that even if we don't live to see the final outcomes of these things on this side of eternity, we trust, Lord, that we will join with the great heavenly cloud of witnesses one day to cheer on those who are continuing to faithfully follow you, Jesus, in this life, in this world bringing new opportunities, seeing new faces, creating a culture and community of grace that far outlasts us all. May the prayers we lift to you today, Lord, be prayers of faith that outlive each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus, for the trust we have in you, for the leadership that you provide, have provided, and will always provide for us as we trust in you. Lead on, O King Eternal. Be that firm foundation for us as we walk this journey with you. We pray these things together, Jesus, in your name. And all God's people said, Amen.